joyful we adore thee, God of glory, Lord of love. Hearts unfold like flowers before thee, opening to the sun above. Melts the clouds of sin and sadness. Thank you for joining us for this program from the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ in Haleville, Alabama. We hope that you will subscribe and will share our program with others. Now, we take you to the service of the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. Daniel chapter 6, Daniel's Lines. We usually call this story the what? Daniel in the Lines Den. But uh, I've got another sermon that I've preached on this before, and I titled it uh, that particular time, um, The Lines in Daniel's Den. And really, when you think about the story, if you know the story, the story really is about uh, this incredible moment that you look at this moment and, and Daniel is thrown into this den of lions and, and he is just completely safe and completely okay. Now, I think for a long time, for a long time, that story has always been just incredibly foreign. How in the world could you be thrown into a lion's den, a pit of lions, and at the end of the story, we're not going to necessarily read this part, but at the end of the story, there are people that are thrown into the lion's den, the ones that have caused the problem to begin with, and it says that the lions, they, they crushed their bones, okay? So, so we know that they're capable, but I believe in our own world now, in our own society, that maybe to a small degree, to a small degree, it's lost its, um, not power, but its wow factor. Um, because for starters, how many of you have ever been to the zoo, to the lions exhibit, and been completely underwhelmed? Completely underwhelmed. What are the lions doing when you go to the zoo? What are they doing? Laying on a rock what? Sleeping. And as parents, as parents who have got three or four kids or two kids or however many kids at the zoo, it's 110 degrees. It cost you $75 a piece to get in there so that the first thing you could do is go and buy a $35 Coke, you know, and a $17 bag of popcorn for all your kids. Like that's the experience as adults we look at at the zoo, right? And you get that done. Then you finally get to the line and you're like, all right, I'm ready for this. I'm ready to see this magnificent creature in his you know, semi-natural environment, and what's he doing? The one thing you wish you could do. He's laying in the shade, taking a nap. And you're like, do something. And you're like, if I throw a kid in there, will he do something? Like, will that make this trip more exciting? I don't know. But you see him, and you're kind of underwhelmed by that experience. But for real, how many of you would volunteer to, like, go in there and free feed that joker? Like, how many of you would be like, yeah, I'll go in there and feed him. Not a problem. Because you know that once you get in there and disturb him, what's he probably not going to be doing? Taking a nap. And then also you have, you know, I think the circuses really changed this perception of taming lines. Uh, there's TV shows about it. There used to be, you know, shows out in uh, Las Vegas, you know, about it. And, and, and there's this, there, there are these images now of, um, of, of, of people who own these massive, uh, massive animals as kind of their pets and, and you see them they're just like laying around with them taking a nap with them and um you know loving on them and and even though i'm not signing up for it it does when you read this story you're kind of like well i mean we see that right we see lions and stuff not not attacking people but but i believe that when you really just 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 take all of that out of it and look at it this is a situation that none of us would ever want to find ourselves in 
and I'm not going to say none of us, but the sane ones of the bunch, some of you may find some thrill in it, are never going to volunteer to just be face-to-face with a line, okay? But if you do, let me know, because I want to bring my phone and record your experience from a distance. But as magnificent of a story as it is, as incredible of a story as it is, as miraculous of a story as it is, you can't really understand the power of the, of the moment without really backing up and talking about the power of the whole story. Let's, let's, let's back up a little bit and remember last week what we talked about. And this carries into this lesson and the next lesson. Your what? Focus determines your... Read that with me. Your focus determines your reality. What you tend to look at, what you tend to make your focus, what you tend to make your priority is going to determine how you view and the world that you live in around you every day. It's going to be the hula hoop in which you function. As we get into this particular story, as we get into this particular story, if you'll open up your Bibles, this isn't going to be on your screen, but if you'll back up into chapter 5 and look in verse 29, Then at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple, a gold chain was placed around his neck, and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Okay, so what kingdom are we talking about? We're talking about this magnificent kingdom here. It's uh, 2.12 million square miles, not miles. Uh, the, 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 the empire that had kind of started out as the Babylonian empire, and then there's all these different wars and different things that have brought a lot of groups into here. But the empire in which Daniel is the third in charge of, if you will, is, is a 2.12 million square mile empire. He had gone from a captive in Daniel chapter 1. He had gone from a captive young man had been gone, had been sent through through uh, political school, if you will, for a lack of better words. And because of his trust, because of his um, uh, relationship with God, God had blessed him in those dynamics to be brought up and raised, at least at the end of chapter five, to be one of the most powerful men in the kingdom. One of the most powerful men in the kingdom, ruling all of this area, ruling all of this area. Then you go and look in verse thirty. That very night, okay, have you ever had this mountaintop experience and then the bottom just drops out? Because I imagine that maybe Daniel feels this a little bit. He's having his mountaintop professional um, experience here, okay? Made, made the third, you know, third uh, highest ruler in the kingdom. That very night, verse 30, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. So the guy that made me boss is no longer king anymore. Do you think that Daniel thought, well, okay, that was fun while it lasted, right? That was fun while it lasted, so much for that. That's not necessarily how it goes. But here we have an image, an artistic image of of King uh, Darius. King Darius actually does a lot of good for the people of God throughout his reign. Um, and, And I believe that this moment in his life is probably a very large part of that. So let's go and let's get into our text, Daniel chapter 6, starting verses 1 through 5. And what we're going to do today is we're going to take this this quote, this idea of of your focus determines your reality, and let's pull out the focuses and see what realities they turn into. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 uh, satraps to return throughout the king, or to rule throughout the kingdom, 
with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. So Daniel gets to keep his position, right? Uh, the satraps were made accountable to them so that the king may not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom, basically making him uh, the president or the, um, um, what's it called? Uh, I'll, I'll think of it in a minute, but basically the president over everything. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charge against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis of charge against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So, so here's the situation we're talking about here. This very first section, really, if you back all the way up into what we just read in the, in the verse 5, verses 29 through here, your focus in this moment is power. Your focus is power in a lot of different ways. But that's kind of the, the ongoing kind of theme here. You've got one king uh, in verse 29 who is, who is giving Daniel power, giving Daniel authority. And then all of a sudden, in verse 30, power creates this environment where one king is killed uh, and slain by a new king, uh, and now he, uh, Darius is king, and then he comes in, and he's kind of maybe readjusting things, putting, putting his people in control, putting his people in power, putting his people in the positions that he wants them in, even though he leaves Daniel where he is to begin with. But then ultimately, Daniel distinguishes himself above everybody else, and he says, hey, I'm going to make you president over all of this. You're going to be the rule. I'm going to kind of be the king and you know i mean if i'm not happy with you i'll just dismiss you but but you're pretty much in charge of everything and he gets that power well all of those that worked with him and under him looked at him and they just didn't like that they couldn't stand the fact that maybe this foreigner this outsider this goody two-shoes this guy that that they knew that maybe they couldn't manipulate that they couldn't flatter that they couldn't you know take advantage of i think that's really the issue here they realize that they can't take advantage of Daniel because of the way he serves, the way he lives, right? And they said, we're not going to let this happen. We, 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 can't, we can't have this because it's going to mess up the way we want things to go. It's going to mess up our gravy train in many ways. And so they're going to try to figure out a way to take that power away from him. I want you to think about this statement here. This statement says, when power goes to your head, it shuts out your heart. When you live in the focus of power, when you live in the focus of wanting things your way, when you live in the focus of no matter what it takes, I'm going to have mine, it shuts out your heart. You no longer care about what you do to other people. You no longer care about how you hurt people. You don't worry about loving other people. You're just worried about yourself. And that's the beginning stage of this entire conversation that we're going to have. When power goes to your head, it shuts out your heart. Let's keep going, starting in verse 6. So the administrators and the satraps went as a group to the king and said, May King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, perfect satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being, uh, human being during the next 30 days except you, your majesty, 
shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. What are we looking at here? What's, what's the focus of these individuals? There's a couple of focuses here that I want you to think about, but it all starts with the word manipulation. It all starts with the word manipulation. They were like, okay, we can't manipulate Daniel, but who can we manipulate? We can manipulate the king. You know, for someone to be king, for someone to, 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 to take things by force and to rule in this way, they have to be people who love to hear great things about themselves, right? So he comes in, they come in, and the style of manipulation is done in flattery. They go in and they just flatter. Oh, your majesty, go, go, back, and, go back and just kind of look, you know. Uh, go back and look. They, they start out. What's the first thing that they say to him? May King Darius live forever. Let me flatter you with how much we love you. And we love you so much that we hope that you're always our king. And then you go down into verse 7. And it's, oh, your majesty this. And then you go into verse 8. Oh, you majesty, your majesty that. You know, they're just, they're just playing into this idea that you are the most wonderful. You're the best. You know, and look, since you're the most wonderful and you're the best and, 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 and we're flattering you with all these things let's just make it a law that everybody treats you this way for the next 30 days that over the next however many days nobody can think anybody is better and greater than you they can only worship you your majesty and the king says hey i like that idea who doesn't like for it to always be about them let's let's just be real about it if you say, I don't, like, I don't like things my way, if you had a choice to have your way in everything, and that was okay, and no one was going to push back about it, you know what I think you would do? You would have your way in everything. You like having your way, right? The, the reason that conflicts happen a lot of times is because you want your way, and someone else wants their way, and, and you get into conflict about it. But, but here it is. The king can have it his way all the time. And they knew that, and they come in and they flatter him, they manipulate the situation to get what they want. As Christians, Paul reminds us, he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit when your uh, focus is manipulation, getting it your way, power. You begin to do things and to take advantage of other people in ways that you shouldn't to get your way. And he says, stay away from that. And it has consequences. And we're going to get to that here in just a moment. Let's look at the next idea here, though, starting in verse 10. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or human being except you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention, your majesty, 
or to the decree, or no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. Here's Daniel's focus, consistency. Consistency. We can fast forward to the end of this story or or to the climax of this story of Daniel being in the lion's den and what God does for him there. But really and truly, the victory in the story, the place that the place that victory is won actually starts in verse 10. Because look at what he says. It, it says that three times a day he gets down on his knees and what does it say? Prayed and what? Giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. He's done it yesterday, the day before that, the day before that. He's going to do it today, and he will be sure to do it tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that. But in this particular moment, in this particular moment, what's he praying for? Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. Daniel's not stupid. Daniel gets what's going on. Daniel knows exactly what they're trying to do to him. And instead of trying to take things in his own hands, instead of going, oh, it's going to be okay, I'm not going to worry about it, or instead of stooping to their level, what does he do? He goes into his house, as he's always done. He gets down on his knees, and he thanks God for everything. But then he says, God, in this moment, I need your help. I can't do this. I I can't figure this out. You see, a lot of times what we tend to do in our prayer life is we're not consistent with it. We only come to God in these moments, and God's kind of our Hail Mary. God, I've done everything that I can think of. I've tried to solve this problem. I've tried to achieve this. I've tried to overcome this. I've tried to do all these things, and I can't figure it out. So God, would you please help me? That's not prayer. I mean, it is prayer, but that's not the prayer life that we're called to. That's not the focus that we need to have. The focus we need to have in our relationship with God and our prayer life with God is a life of consistency. I've always done this, and every time I've needed God, I've always gone and I've fallen on my knees before him and said, God, this is what I need right now. I can't figure this out. I need your help. And it had always worked before, so Daniel knew that if I go to him now, It's going to work again. It's going to work again. I very well may be thrown into the lion's den, but God's got it. God's going to take care of it. It may end in my death, but God's got it. Death does not equal loss. In this particular situation, if he had died in this moment, he still gains his victory in God. He still gains his eternity in God. Revelation is full of that imagery over and over. We're studying that in our class on Sunday morning, and that image is there from beginning to end, that even if you die in the service of God, that does not mean you lose. It just means you gain your victory sooner. And Daniel understands that. So he's saying, God, I need your help. Look at this thought. There are two ways to do something, the right way and again. To me, that's one of the greatest kind of thoughts when I think about consistency. There is a right way to pray to God, and it's consistently. It's to have that relationship with him and to talk to him as often as I can. And then, so there's two ways to do it. I pray to God, and I pray to God the right way, and I wake up tomorrow, and I do it what? Again. I do it the right way. And the next day, I wake up, and I do it what? Again. 
So when you think about consistency in your life, when you think about your prayer life, when you think about your, your walk with God, think of this statement. There are two ways to do something, the right way and again. Let's go to this next idea. I've got the slides out of order. But the next reality, or the first reality, if you will, is distress. Let's go. Verse 14, when the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Why is he so distressed? Well, for starters, this is the leader of his nation, right? This is the leader of his nation. This is the president of his nation. And these guys have figured a backdoor way into basically assassinating this guy. It's a political coup. And you don't want that, right? You don't want that to go. So it's going to disrupt your nation as a whole to have its primary leader all of a sudden removed. So, so, so there's that issue. He's distressed by that, I'm sure. He's stressed out by that, I'm sure. But then as you, as you read through the rest of this kind of conversation that they begin to have, they're friends. They have a relationship here. And, and he's trying to figure out how to save his friend as well. Then the, man went, then the men went as a group to King Darius and said to him, Remember, what's the next phrase? Your majesty. Here's this manipulation over and over. That according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king uh, issues can be changed. So the king gave the order and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve continually, there's that consistency idea, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the ring of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating, and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. This is a stressful moment, isn't it? This is a stressful moment. How many of you deal with stress every week? How many of you there is just stress in your life every week? I want you to understand that as we talk about this next kind of idea here, that there is just normal everyday stress. The world brings that to us, right? We, we, we have challenges, we have things that we deal with that bring stress into our life. But I believe there is a difference in the reality of stress and the reality of being distressed like the king was in this particular moment. I mean, he's so distressed by everything that's going on that it says that he goes back to his palace, he doesn't eat, he has no entertainment, he doesn't pick up his phone. He doesn't get on Facebook. He doesn't play a game. He doesn't turn on Netflix. He doesn't do any of this stuff. And it says he could not sleep. He could not sleep. Now, I understand that we face stress in our life. There's a couple of quotes here I want to show you that I think of when I think of stress. All of our teachers or former teachers, raise your hands for just a moment. Teachers and former teachers, this statement is for you. Being a teacher is like flying an airplane while it's being built. That's a stressful job, isn't it? How many of you teachers or former teachers went home and had nights where you just could not sleep? You're just stressed out about everything. God's got you, okay? You can be stressed without being in distress, but God's got you. I want you to know that. How many of you parents can understand this? 90% of parenting is thinking about when you can lie down again. Any amens to that? Amen to that. Stress happens, all right? Stress happens. But we're talking about being distressed because of the focus 
that you have in your life. You see, King Darius is living in a world where his focus is power. His focus is manipulation. His focus is building himself up, right? I'm the king. I've got to build myself up, build myself up. And he fell right into the flattery of this whole situation. And because of that, because of his focus, his reality becomes a life of distress. When your focus is the world, when your focus is power, when your focus is personal gain, or what the Bible calls greed, when your focus is relationships to, to, to benefit myself, when your focus is all of the things that the world says is the most important, then your reality is going to be a reality of distress. If you're walking around in your world and you're having nights over and over and over again where you can't sleep, nothing you watch or listen to or try to get your mind off you know, in another direction with works. You don't feel like eating. When those things are going on in your life, night after night after night, you might very well be living in a world of distress. And the reason you're there very well may be because your focus is in the wrong place. Because your focus determines your reality. Your focus determines your reality. The reality here, and I think about Daniel for just a moment. We'll wrap up here in just a minute. The reality here is there's no way out. There's no way out. And King Darius sees to it. They roll a stone over this den. Interestingly enough, stones don't really hold a lot of weight in Scripture. No pun intended, or maybe all pun intended. Anytime a stone is put up against something and someone seals it, what tends to happen? The person inside what? tends to live, right? They tend to live. Daniel lives, even though he has died. Jesus, what, lives? Jesus had a good friend. What was his name? He was put in a, in a grave, stone rolled over it. What was his name? Lazarus. What happens to him? He, anytime you feel that the world has put a stone in front of you and there's no way out, guess who rolls stones away? God. And when your reality is not, or when your focus is a God focus and not a world focus, then your reality becomes delivery. It becomes being delivered. Let's, let's wrap up and look. We put the wrong passage in here. Let's go. Let's just use, starting in verse 14. 6 verse 14. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed, and he was determined to rescue Daniel. Let's, see, let's flip on down. Okay, let's just start in 17, because this is where we were. And a stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and uh, with the ring of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not change. Verse 18, then the king turned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without uh, any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn... The king got up and hurried to the lion's den. In his reality, what do you think he thinks he's fixing to find? Death, right? He thinks he's fixing to find death. When he came near to the den, he called out to Daniel in an, in an, an uh, anguished voice. Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? 
Daniel answered. Don't you know that's an amazing moment? It just kind of, two words, Daniel answered. But this guy wasn't expecting to hear anything. This guy just knew that he was dead. Daniel answered. I'm sure everybody around is absolutely floored. They're They're just shocked. May the king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lion. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done anything wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in God. Delivery. When we trust in God, we trust in God, he delivers. But why was he able to find deliverance? Because he continually served God. I love this. Under pressure, you don't rise to the occasion. That's what we hear, right? Man, this, this particular athlete, this individual, when, when the pressure's on, boy, they just rise to the occasion. No, under pressure, you don't rise to the occasion. You sink to the level of your training. You seek to the level of your training. Why is Daniel Daniel able to trust in God so much in this moment, despite what's going on? Why does it look like he rises to the occasion? Why does it look like Paul and Silas rise to the occasion? Next week, as we look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, why does it look like they rise to the occasion when the pressure is on? It's because they continually work on their relationship with God. Three times a day, Daniel stops what he's doing, falls to his knees, prays, and gives thanks to God. So when pressure came, he didn't have to sink too far because God already had him, had him held up. And he says, you're standing on me, and you know it because we talk about it all the time. Our delivery is from God, but a lot of times the quickness, the swiftness, The power of that delivery comes from how much we put into that relationship way before the moment of pressure. Way before. Peter says it this way. He says, don't be surprised when you face this fiery ordeal. Don't be surprised when challenging times come. Because when they come, you should be ready. You should have trained for that moment. You should have prayed for that moment. You should have studied for that moment. You should have prepared yourself spiritually for that moment so that when the pressure comes, you don't sink. You stand there with the armor of God on, firm in the hands of Jesus. That's where we find our delivery. This is an amazing story. A story that we're all very familiar with for the most part because of vacation Bible school and Sunday school. And it's just a story that from the very beginning of our lives that is shared with us so many different times in so many different ways. But understand that the reason that we see the reality of his deliverance is because his focus was always on God, as ours should be as well. Let's go to God in prayer as we close our time of study. God, we thank you for this chance to be surrounded by our brothers and sisters this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to live in your presence. And we pray, God, that our focus is always on you, that the world is going to try to crowd us out or crowd you out Satan's going to try to put things in front of us that tempt us and that look uh, appealing to us. And God, help us to, to not give in. Help us to just focus on you so that our reality is grounded in you always. God, I thank you so much for this story. 
We thank you for the way you showed your power in this story so that we can know that that same power is available to us when we serve you. Just be with us, God. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thou art giving and forgiving, ever blessing, ever blessed. Thank you again for joining us. And please consider subscribing to our YouTube channel or our podcast. We can be found on Apple Podcasts or any other podcast provider. Also, leave us a five-star review, which will greatly assist in getting the message of God's love and salvation to others. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Be sure to join us again, and until then, remember to love like Jesus.